Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Mike, check. Mike, check. One, two, one, two, one, two, for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Word up. That. Biblical, biblical, theology, theology, study, the person of God, attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics, and Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet, so please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology, that phrase alone that gives some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough, uh-huh. just give me Jesus, that will be enough. That seems plausible and logical. Nobody wants to be all cold and theological. But being a theologian is not optional. Because when you talk about Christ, you're saying something doctrinal. Either it accurately portrays his majesty, or it's a travesty, or worse, blasphemy. You can do a global search. This mark is crucial to the health of a local church. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key. It's following the Bible storyline and the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine. What he starts, he finishes with dedication, a work of art, from Genesis to Revelation, from God's creation, to man's fall to redemption to consummation. His designs and structure each time will fluster. What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens sturdy and fixed. Romans 11.36. Biblical theology encompasses who God is, what he promises, and the so clever, we behold his endeavors unfold. The greatest, greatest story, story ever, ever told. told. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. Yeah. The Lord has not decided to keep us guessing. Thank you, Lord. He gave us the word providing us correction and the spirit for guidance and direction. Biblical theology is like protection from ourselves and our improper reflections so we can follow the Bible, not just our reflections. Otherwise, we will chop it into sections and not make the connections like the doctrine of election. And Satan is waiting to slice us in the mincemeat if our faith is a mile wide and an inch deep. Theology is like the root of a tree, which determines how rich the fruit's gonna be. And by God's grace, he'll breathe on us with his breath, lead us in his steps, show us his eagerness to bless. And we'll experience true peace within our death, because we'll know the meaning of Jesus and his death. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. Good evening. Um, This is Theology Matters, 
with uh, Devin and Melissa Palou, uh, except that I am um, a guest host, Marcia Montenegro, and <clears throat> Melissa and Devin are not on tonight. Uh, I am doing the whole show, and uh, thanks to Devin and Melissa for giving me this opportunity. Uh, so I'm Marcia Montenegro, and my ministry is Christian Answers for the New Age. And tonight, I am going to talk about the occult. Now, I have a background uh, in the New Age and the occult. I was in it for quite a long time, about 20 years. I was involved with uh, some Eastern belief systems, Hinduism, Tibetan Buddhism, and Buddhism. And I was also an astrologer, a professional astrologer, And I also was very interested in the supernatural or the paranormal, the world of the unseen. And that actually started when I was in high school and continued on for for years. And so I explored that area and I was doing a lot of reading in that area. I was particularly interested in seeing auras, the supposed uh, colored lights that are around people. I was interested in the powers of the mind, like psychic powers. I was very, very interested in communication with the dead. And I actually saw someone, someone appeared to me uh, one time when I was on a break away from school during college, um, at my grandmother's home, I woke up in the morning and there was someone standing in the bedroom in a soldier's uniform who told me when he died. Um, and I don't remember the exact date, but <laughs> uh, I know it's December something. Uh, and uh, 19, I think he said 1947. Of course, it was after World War II, but I really thought I was seeing the spirit of a dead person. And later on when I started to get more seriously involved, I went to some classes at a place in Atlanta, Georgia, where I was living. And I was taking classes like psychic development and past life regression. I believed in reincarnation And I took other classes as well, and numerology was one of the classes, and of course, astrology. And the psychic development classes where we supposedly learned how to uh, sharpen um, our innate psychic powers, Uh, one of the things we did was communication with the dead, and the woman who was teaching the class uh, was a psychic, and she would have us all Um, sit in a circle. We actually went down to a darker room, um, which was below the first floor of the building, and uh, she would call on the spirit world, uh, the world of the dead, and ask for those who had messages for people in the class to come into the circle and bring messages. So... I'll try to remember to tell a little more of that when I get to that section about the occult. 
uh, because there's some points I want to make about that. So I definitely was involved in this. And, of course, I became a professional astrologer and practiced astrology for professionally for over eight years, was president of the Astrological Society and chairperson of the Astrology Examining Board, um, which was the board that graded the uh, exams. We formulated and graded the exams of people who wanted to take the astrology exam in Atlanta so they could qualify for a business license. And I myself had done that in 1983, passed the exam and purchased a business license uh, so I could practice legally in the city limits. So I was definitely involved in in occult practices. I had some tarot cards, and I used these cards only on myself. I don't recall ever using them on anyone else. Actually, I think you're not supposed to use them on yourself, but I did. And I also used a little numerology. I also took a class in palm reading, which I didn't really use um, except to read my own hands, Uh, maybe a few friends, but I didn't um, get that involved with that. Uh, So I was interested in various aspects of, of, of the occult, and I want to... I wanted to give that background or a little bit of it so that you know that this area is not just something I've read about, but it's something that I was actively involved in, as were many, many of my friends. I had friends who were psychics, friends who were um, tarot card readers, uh, friends who were involved in numerology or astrology, and uh, that was pretty much, you know, my world was in this kind of thinking that these were ways to get information, ways to help yourself and ways to help others. So what is the occult, O-C-C-U-L-T? First of all, it's not the same as cult, C-U-L-T, um, a cult which is not what I'm talking about, but I'm just going to say what it is, is a group, usually religious in nature, but it doesn't have to be, which is headed by somebody or a group of people who have a very strong authority over the members of the group and who exercise that authority in ways that gives them control of the people. Um, And from a Christian point of view, a Christian cult is a group um, that has beliefs that they claim are Christian, but actually they are denying one or more major elements of the Christian faith. So that's, that's what cults are. Now, there are cults that are occultic. There are cults that have occult practices, but these are still two different things. Now, the occult, I define as a set of practices that are associated with various belief systems. So you can find these different practices across the board in all kinds of belief systems and apart from any strong spiritual belief system. 
but there is a world view in the occult and even though the occult's very vast and the people who are uh, active in it and who practice it don't don't always agree definitely they do not always agree on on things um and it's, and it's not an organized group so i'm just saying you can find somebody who's a tarot card reader who has a different view of reality than somebody who's an astrologer or someone who's a psychic they they can just be very different but they tend to believe that there is some kind of power that we can access either it's natural to us or we access it outside ourselves or we are initiated into it and this power um allows you to do these practices which I'm going to describe here and uh this is pretty much a common view they also tend to believe that you know the real truth about everything is hidden and what we see openly is not the way things really are it's just um like the tip of the iceberg and you have to know more you have to have more knowledge in order to really understand what things mean so they're looking beneath the surface at normally visible or apparent so before I I um, go further with uh, specifics about it, let me read a passage in Deuteronomy 18 because in this passage, God actually lists all the practices of the occult. These practices listed here cover everything that we we can see as far as how the occult is practiced. And so God is telling the people um, who are entering, his people who are entering the land uh, from the wilderness, he's giving them some specifics of what not to be involved in. So this is Deuteronomy 18, starting at verse 9. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes a son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for those nations which you shall dispossess. Listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. So that's verses 9 through 14 in Deuteronomy 18. Now there are many other passages where... um, God forbids divination, where he forbids um, communicating with the dead, where he forbids um, some of the other practices listed here. But this is the only passage where they're all listed together, and that's why it's such a good passage to be familiar with. I also want to point out, I was reading from the New American Standard, and if you read this in the King James or the NIV or maybe the New Living Translation, 
some of the words will be a little different. And that does not mean that um, the translations are in conflict. Um, what that means is that the Hebrew words that, that these English words are translated from can sometimes be translated differently. In other words, the Hebrew words will describe a practice, but how to translate that into modern English sometimes is difficult because sometimes the Hebrew word can be translated more than one way. But some words translated as witchcraft can also be translated as divination. So um, that is why you will see variations in the translations. Now, I have um, done a study of the Hebrew words for all of these terms, and I have written about it in my book, which I have not mentioned yet and meant to mention earlier. It's called Spellbound, The Paranormal Seduction of Today's Kids. And this book is available um, from used booksellers or as an e-book. You can get it um, for Kindle or an e any e-reader. Uh, and this book is about the occult, and it's about what is the occult, where do we see it today. And I start off the book with this passage, and I describe these words and what they mean. So... I have done a study of this, and what it boils down to is that even though some of the words are different, once you understand what this is talking about, the variations in the terms from the different translations don't matter um, because it's going to boil down to three categories, which I'm going to give you here in a second. So don't worry if while I was reading you were looking at it in an NIV or a New King James or something and some of the words were different. It still means the same thing. It's still very clear what God is talking about. These uh, modern terms um, are, are terms, some of these words are not words that are in Hebrew, but understanding what the Hebrew is talking about allows us to put it in the modern terms. So um, hopefully that was uh, <laughs> clear as mud there. Let me go ahead and, and tell you the three categories. <clears throat> the three categories are divination, spirit contact, and sorcery. Those are the three main categories of the occult. I did not come up with that. I've seen that elsewhere where it's been divided in those three areas. And everything can fall under one of those or one or more of those categories. There are some things that fall under more than one of those categories. But I'm going to go through each category here in a second and explain it and give you examples. And if stories come to me, I'll tell you stories too because I, I have till 8 o'clock here with you, um, and um, I, so I have some time. I may not last that long if my voice starts going. I'll have to stop before then, but still, I have plenty of time. So the main idea, the main thing to keep in mind about the occult is not to try to think that you have to memorize different practices. Oh, that's the occult, or that's part of the occult, that's part of the occult. You know, if you're familiar with some of the major ones, that's fine. You don't have to know every single thing because there's probably thousands 
of variations on occult practices. Um, what's important is to understand what the occult really is in essence and what it involves. It always involves the unseen world, something unseen and or something hidden. So it's unseen or hidden, okay? Something that, and, and it's unseen in the sense that it's not something that is normally known that's by the normal uh, ways, the normal methods of, of knowing or seeing something. <clears throat> and hidden is something that is hidden that is not known by the normal ways of getting information. So it can be, it has to do with hidden knowledge with unseen powers and unseen entities or beings. So this is what the occult revolves around, and this will help you to identify it better if you remember that. And now I'm going to give some examples. So the first category is divination. And divination, um, generally speaking, is a word that means getting information from a divine source, so a supernatural source thought to be godlike. Okay, that is what divination is. What we're talking about, of course, is occult divination, not information from the one true God who, as he has revealed it. But we're talking about occult divination which is a way of getting information either through reading meaning uh, in something hidden, uh, the hidden meaning behind something, or through a supernatural method. Now, as far as getting the information through something hidden, there's lots of examples. For example, um, tarot cards. If you've ever seen them, they're cards with these pictures on them, and there's a lot of different types of tarot cards. There's probably at least um, 300 types of tarot cards. And they have various themes, but they all have these pictures, and they all have uh, a certain set of symbols in common. And if you just look at these tarot cards, if you've never read about what they mean, I mean, they're just pictures. They don't have any real meaning to them. But somebody who reads tarot cards believes that there is this hidden meaning in the pictures and it's connected to your life if they're doing a reading for you. So there you have an example right away of where a picture which has no real apparent meaning has some kind of hidden meaning behind it. Uh, then you have, for example, astrology. Okay, The planets like... Venus, Mercury, Mars, Jupiter, okay, they're planets. You can get some scientific them about the, their size, the kind of gas that is in their atmosphere, how fast they move around the sun, <clears throat> how far are they away from Earth, etc. Those are all scientific facts that's a part of astronomy. Astrology believes that there is a meaning of those planets as far as it relates to the time of your birth and the place of your birth. So an astrologer gets those two pieces of information and has a chart drawn up which shows where the planets and the sun and moon are 
in relation to earth at the time of your birth and at the place where you were born. And the astrologer believes that the position of these planets and their position in relation to each other and in the chart all is connected to your life, that you were born at that moment because you were being born at the time the planets would most closely um, signify the blueprint for your life. It's not so much that the planets are exerting an influence on you as that they are symbolic of who you are and what your life path is. So that's how modern astrologers see astrology. And there again, you have a meaning being given to something that doesn't have parent meaning. Most people don't go around and think about, well, I wonder where the planet Neptune is in my chart today. (laughs) And if someone told you, if an astrologer says, well, I see Neptune is entering um, your 11th house of your chart, you know, if you didn't know astrology, you would think, well, so what, you know? But see, in astrology, there's a meaning because Neptune represents something. The 11th house represents something. So the astrologer is thinking, okay, the planet Neptune, as it where it is now, is entering your 11th house, okay. Um, or they'll say from your birth chart, here you were born with planet Mars and the planet, um, let's say, Venus together. Okay, that means something. So this hidden meaning that is seen in the position of the planets is shows that it's part of the occult because it's a hidden meaning. It's not something that people naturally know. It's not something that is normally known, and it's not something that can be proven. You can't test it. It's it's just it's just assumed. The meaning is assumed. So that's astrology. Numerology is a similar thing. Numbers, you have numbers. And, and of course, we see numbers every day. We sometimes do math in our checkbook. And that's about the highest form of math I can do. <laughs> and um, I have trouble with that. Uh, so, you know, a number is a number. Two is just a number. 23 is a number. 15 is a number. In numerology, these numbers all have meaning or they add them up together to get a meaning. You know, if you have 15, you add five and one and it's a six. Um, or you take a person's name and there's a number for each letter and you add that up and you boil it down, you cast out the nines and you boil it down to a certain number so your life path. Um, and maybe your birth date is thrown in as well, so maybe your life path is a seven or your life path is is a two or your name is a four, and that all means something in numerology. So here again you see in the occult you're taking something, just an innocent number, and loading all this meaning into it or believing that there's all this meaning behind it. This is why numerology is not biblical. It's not biblical, for example, to try to read some kind of meaning into the numbers in the Bible. And I want to address this because this is something I see quite a bit. You have, uh, of course, you have the number 12 repeated quite a few times in the Bible. You have the 12 tribes. You have the 12 apostles. Um, You have 40 
um, wandering the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus, of course, being in the um, wilderness for, you know, the desert for 40 days um, when he was tempted. Of course, that is deliberate because what that correlates to is the 40 years um, in the wilderness in the Old Testament. So Jesus was in the desert for 40 days and had to endure temptation. The thing is, is that God's people succumbed to the temptation in the wilderness, but Jesus did not succumb to the temptation. So there's a parallel there, but there's not a hidden meaning. You have uh, the number seven, okay, and I often hear that's a number of perfection. I don't really see uh, see that in the Bible myself. Actually, God created the world in six days, not seven. Uh, other numbers, and unless the text itself indicates what this number means, it's not a good idea to try to get a meaning out of it because you're just speculating. And it's really kind of crossing the line into numerology where you think the number has some kind of hidden meaning. If the meaning isn't clear, um, you know, it's, it doesn't mean anything. And you can't take it out of the Bible and make it sort of a magical number and say, well, 40 is in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. So, you know, I'm going to pick 40 as my favorite, my lucky number, or, you know, I'm going to read the Bible for 40 days, and that will make me spiritual. Okay? It's, if you think it's going to do something special for you to take a number and use it like that, then you're giving it more meaning than it has. It's very tempting to do that. It's a very human thing. A lot of people are are drawn to doing that kind of thing. Some aren't, but a lot are. And so it's something that's very easy to fall into without really thinking about it. So it's really good to stop and think when you're going to do something that's a little different like that. So... Let me think of some more divination examples um, using a pendulum. And a pendulum can be used in many ways. You can use anything as a pendulum. You can tie a pen or a pencil to a string and hold it over a sheet of paper and have yes, no, maybe, never, or something in the four corners of the paper or whatever and ask a question and then and then just kind of wait and see if the pendulum swings uh, to answer your question towards yes or no or never or whatever. This this is this is divination. This is not getting information from the normal processes that uh, we use to get information. So this is a form of divination. And some other forms of of the pendulum that are very popular are. Um, when women are pregnant, you know, this is uh, something that's sometimes done at a baby shower. Um, if the mother-to-be doesn't know whether her child's a girl or boy, then, you know, people hold a little a pendulum over her stomach, maybe a pencil on a string, and say, you know, if it goes this way, it's a boy, and this way, it's a girl. That's divination. Of course, in that chance, you have a 50-50 chance of being right. So a lot of times, yeah, it's right because, well, you know, 50-50 is a pretty good chance. Um, That's divination. Dowsing is divination. Dowsing uh, for looking for, whether it's for water, 
or for metals or for buried treasure. You take some kind of um, stick or sometimes it's some kind of wire. And um, this has become a thing in certain parts of the country where it's even passed down through generations. And so people do it because their grandfather did it, their father did it, their great-grandfather did it, and it's just accepted as a good thing or a normal thing. However, they have done studies, and dowsing does not find water um, any better than just chance. So, yes, sometimes um, it seems to lead the person to water, but it's not any better than than just chance, just closing your eyes, putting your finger on a map somewhere in the area to find water. So there has been no scientific evidence for this. Plus, the idea behind it is that it's supernatural. The belief is supernatural because how does a twig know where there's water under the ground? or metal, or a buried treasure. A a twig can't know that. Um, A piece of wire can't know that. And so you are relying on something that is beyond human. And as soon as you do that, you are trying to get information via a supernatural channel, and this is the occult. So we've, we've talked about some of the examples with the hidden meanings with tarot cards and numerology and astrology, here's an example of trying to get information from a supernatural source uh, is with the pendulum and with dowsing. This is a uh, form of the occult. Uh, And another one which actually crosses over into the alternative care movement, and I talked about this on the broadcast I did on New Age Healing and this is muscle testing or applied kinesiology become very popular and even a lot of Christians are involved in it. This is using the body as a divination tool. And actually witches recognize that's what it is. Um, there's a witchcraft site which talks about how the body is a divination tool and that's why muscle testing works. Um, of course, it doesn't work, but people think it does and they accept the results. Now, using the body as a divination tool is a belief that there's some kind of energy or force there that has more knowledge than the brain of the person being tested or the brain of the health practitioner. It's usually a chiropractor or perhaps a naturopath or someone like that who's doing these things. So you're appealing to some kind of force or perhaps the so-called wisdom of the body, which in the New Age and occult view is a belief that there's this, this, really the wisdom is like an energy or it's the God, the God within the person. And so people have different views about that in the New Age and the occult, but that's usually what it boils down to. I used to believe in these things when I was in the New Age, so I I know what people think they are. I know that's what it's based on. That's exactly what it comes from. So I strongly urge people not to do muscle testing or applied kinesiology. Just as it's as much divination as um, numerology astrology or using a pendulum it's just it's divination it's the same thing so 
if you understand the principles behind this, then you can recognize it better. And that's that's why I'm going um, into such detail on these categories. We're still on the category of divination. <laughs> um, and you have a lot of examples of this. Um, I'm going to go back to a very, very popular series uh, that everybody's going to recognize the name of, Harry Potter. Um, Harry Potter, um, of course, had to take divination classes. Uh, he didn't like them, but he had to take them. I know that in the fifth book, I've read all the, all of these books and have articles on them on my website. By the way, my website is christiananswersforthenewage.org. And there's a page for articles where I have articles on different topics. I have book evaluations, movie evaluations, and other types of information there. <clears throat> and um, so he didn't like divination, but in the fifth book, um, he gives Hermione a book on numerology. Now, um, they called in um, Harry Potter, they called, a, he had took a class called Arithmancy. Arithmancy is numerology. When you see that the end, uh, the ending, like M-A-N-C-Y, it comes from a Greek word for divination. And so often um, words that use uh divination will have the M-A-N-C-Y ending, and arithmancy is one of them. There's a whole bunch of them. In fact, I have an article on my website. Um, I will be posting links to some of these articles on Facebook um, later tonight or tomorrow in case you want to see them and in case you're, you happen to be on Facebook. If not, you can go to my website and find them. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of things. Tassiomancy um, is reading tea leaves. And this is something primarily done in other cultures. They read tea leaves or coffee grounds. I know in the Balkans they do cro- coffee grounds. And this is looking at a pattern in the tea leaves or the uh, coffee grounds after you've had the beverage. And they believe that there's a pattern there and the person doing the reading believes they're reading a meaning into that. So those are all examples of divination. I wanted to say something about my own experience in astrology because um, I'm sure some people are wondering, well, um, does this stuff ever work? Well, of course, sometimes it does seem to work, and there are reasons for that. Um, Number one is coincidence. Uh, Number two is that the person getting the reading wants to believe. They want to believe the information. And so they remember what is accurate and they forget what is not accurate. They just sort of dismiss it or forget it. Um, And then, of course, um, there is the explanation that there is a demonic Um, guidance here of the person who's doing this, whether it's the astrologer or, you know, the person with the pendulum or the numerology person, the palm reader. Um, All of these people who do these things have spirit guides. And uh, spirit guides, they believe the spirit guides are benevolent. The spirit guides are fallen angels. I know I I was very aware of my spirit guides even before I became an astrologer. Um, I was aware of my guides. 
And when I was doing astrology, I often felt guided through the charts. So I was um, aware sometimes that there was some kind of power or energy that was guiding me. It felt good to me. It wasn't scary, you know, because of my belief system that these guides were benevolent and that I was sort of special. I had the special gift for astrology, and so I had special guides who were really good at astrology who were my guides. So, you know, they were guiding me through the chart, and I would feel like I was just kind of, it was very smooth. I was kind of just flowing. You know, it was just the reading would just flow. And I would say many things about the person, about their past and their present circumstances that were accurate. Um, Sometimes I would even get a picture in my mind or a word in my mind, and I would mention it to the person and they would say oh my goodness you know how did you know that so there is something going on that's supernatural there but this is not from god these are the fallen angels who want you to believe in astrology they want you to believe in numerology because these are all things god condemns these practices uh, that i read in deuteronomy 18 were associated with the worship of false gods and this was how they got their information from the false gods. And there is at least five or six places in the Bible where idols and false gods are called demons. And if you are dealing with a real power behind a false god, you are dealing with a demon. I mean, this is what God tells us. This is not my speculation. This is, this is clearly said by the Lord. So here are people with guides who think they're benevolent and they're being guided into this by these fallen angels. So it's very serious. This is not this is not something just to kind of dismiss or laugh at or ridicule because there's a very serious spiritual element to the occult that we should be aware of. Christians, we don't need to be afraid of it. Um, Jesus has power over all this, but we are not to engage in these practices. We are not to consult people who do these things. Okay, um, I still have two more categories to do. And I forgot to mention another category in divination is uh, being a psychic. So, of course, the psychics are, you know, everybody pretty much knows what a psychic is. There's TV shows about psychics. Um, you have the real life psychics who are are famous. Um, there are these particular psychics also supposedly contact the dead, like Sylvia Brown, who died early, earlier this year. You have John Edward, you have uh, James Van Prague, and you have other people. A lot of them write books. Um, and psychic powers. Um, this is where somebody is sitting there with the client and just usually they close their eyes or they focus in some way in their mind and they start getting information about you. Um, they don't. They may use a tool, they may not. Um, sometimes psychics will use tarot cards or even astrology. Um, this is where the famous crystal ball comes in because the crystal ball um, is used as a point of focus for the psychic it's not so much that the crystal ball is um, 
you know, showing a picture to the psychic. It's more that it's a focal point and the psychic looks at the ball and focuses on it. And through that, um, he or she sees things and, and may kind of see them in the crystal ball. But the crystal ball itself, I mean, if someone else looked at it, it's really a focal point for the psychic. So the psychic is trying to get information from a supernatural source. And here again, you have divination. Okay, if I think think of more about divination, I'll come back to it. But I'm going to go to the next category. And the next category is um, uh, spirit contact um, or spiritism. And spirit contact is pretty self-explanatory, contact with a spirit. Now, when people do this, sometimes they think they're contacting the dead. Um, they may think they're contacting an alien um, you know, on another planet and that they can get information from. And there are people who are very into, you know, the whole UFO thing. And they um, even channel messages they believe from these beings on other planets or other realms of space. Um, so that is spirit contact. Or the most innocent-seeming form of spirit contact is when somebody is trying to contact an angel. And in this case, they think it's a good angel. They believe that you can contact good angels or a guardian angel. And there are workshops out there and books on how to contact and communicate with your guardian angel. You can learn how to get information from angels. There was a whole book written on this for teenagers uh, back around the year 2000 by the same woman who wrote a book on um, uh, Wicca, and the, a lot of teenagers got involved in Wicca through her book on Wicca, and she wrote a book about angels, and which I read. And actually, the book on angels was scarier to me than the book on Wicca because this is putting people in direct contact with fallen angels. And the fallen angels are the only ones who are going to respond. There's not a single case in the Bible where anyone deliberately tries to contact or get a message from an angel. Not a single case. Not even the bad people in the Bible do this. It is nowhere to be found. The angels who serve God only go at his command. They don't... They won't do anything in response to to what people say. We can't summon angels, good or well. We can't we can summon the bad angels, but that's what happens when people try to contact a good angel. They get the bad angel. The only angels who will respond to the efforts of people are the fallen angels, and they can appear very good. They can appear to be helpful, kind, beautiful. Um, we know in in Second Corinthians 11, it talks about Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, and so the fallen angels who only want to deceive and draw people away from the truth can appear as a good angel. They can appear as your guardian angel, um, or they can appear as a dead person. And this is what's going on when the mediums are contacting what they believe are dead people and they think that 
they're able to get information from a dead person. And certainly they often do get information. It's not all fake. Um, There are people who fake it, but there are a lot of people who are genuine in the world of the occult, and they totally believe in what they're doing. And certainly um, all my friends who did these kind of things were very sincere and believed in it uh, strongly. They had very strong spiritual beliefs about it. So when a medium says they're contacting your dead uncle and starts giving you information that's accurate about your dead uncle, you may think, wow, this person has really, you know, contacted um, Uncle Jimmy. This I can't believe it. Uncle Jimmy, you know, his favorite color was green, and he loved um, chocolate chip ice cream, and he used to take me fishing. You know, all this information will start coming from the medium, and the person thinks, wow, this really is Uncle Jimmy. Well, A fallen angel can know all these things about Uncle Jimmy. It's not really difficult for the fallen angel to know this because angels hang around. I mean, they don't die. They're always around, and they can observe things. Um, How exactly they do this, we don't know, but we we know that they're around. And um, how do they communicate it to the medium or the psychic? Well, we don't know but somehow they communicate it. So here you've got um, unseen beings, uh, entities as a source of information. This is part of the occult. This is not the way to get information. You do not want to try to contact anyone um, who is unseen, and you don't want to consult anyone who does this. So... This is an area that is probably, I think, the most dangerous in the occult, the spirit contact, because it is really an invitation. Um, For somebody who's not a Christian, it is an invitation to really be sometimes heavily taken over by these spirits, um, sometimes terrorized by them. Uh, For other people... They just get gradually drift further and further from the truth and are guided away from Jesus Christ. For a Christian, and there are Christians who will go to mediums, um, they uh, miss their loved one, they're desperate to hear from them. They think that, well, if God loves me, surely he'll let me hear from, you know, my dead brother or my dead wife or whatever. Uh, Of course, there's nothing in the Bible to indicate that this is something we should do, and in fact, it's forbidden. Um, You can get yourself into trouble that way. Um, It might be more subtle. Well, it depends, you know. No one can predict what's going to happen, but I've had stories of people who maybe went to a psychic or a medium and then they had horrible nightmares, Um, In some cases, it was a lot more subtle. They gradually lost interest in reading the Bible. They gradually lost interest in church. And pretty soon, they weren't reading the Bible at all, and they weren't going to church, and life was not getting better. And that's when they would kind of wake up to what they were doing, and they would think, oh, I wonder if going to the medium or the psychic has led to 
where I am now. Well, yep, it has. But sometimes the effects are very subtle, and you might everything might seem okay, and so you think, well, it's all right. That wasn't really bad. Maybe God's not really against it because I'm okay. But that's not the way to evaluate it. The way to evaluate it is by what God says. Um, and I, I, uh, whenever I talk about this topic, I often get a question about King Saul, who consulted the medium at Endor. And here you have a difference in translations. Some translations say the witch at Endor. And once again, that is because the word, the Hebrew word, can mean witch or it can mean um, a medium. And actually the word witch is not what we think of today as witch. They're the modern religion of Wicca and modern witchcraft. Um, In the times the Bible was translated, where it's translated as witch, witch meant somebody usually who practiced some form of the occult. So it's not the the religion of Wicca, it's practicing the occult, uh, usually by divination, contacting the dead. And that's why it can be the witch at Endor or the medium at Endor, either one. So here Saul goes. Of course, he has forbidden these people in the land, and the medium knows that. She's scared. He says, don't worry. You know, I'm not going to do anything to you. I need to talk to Samuel. Samuel, of course, has died. The Philistines are coming to conquer, and Saul doesn't know what to do. He's not getting guided anymore. Uh, Samuel's dead, and the Lord has cut off contact with him because Saul disobeyed God earlier. So out of desperation, and this is how a lot of people go to mediums and psychics, they go when circumstances in their life are desperate and it causes them to be willing to do anything to try to get an answer. And Saul goes, and he does this. The medium... Um, does her thing, and uh, Samuel appears. The thing is, the Bible says that the medium cried out when she saw Samuel, or when he appeared, which indicates that this was not something she normally saw. And I, I, my own opinion is that what she normally saw maybe was Um, kind of a shadow or um, something very ethereal Um, or maybe she didn't really normally see anything. Maybe she normally felt something or heard something. She did not normally see somebody that really looked like a person and apparently this looked like Samuel. Saul recognized him. Samuel rebukes Saul and he also tells him that The Philistines are going to win the battle, and Saul and his sons will die the next day in battle. It gives a prediction, a prophecy. This is why I totally believe it's Samuel. There are some people who think it's not Samuel, that the medium brought up a demon who appeared as Samuel. But here's the thing. Why would a demon rebuke Saul for disobeying God? And a demon could not give such a specific prediction for Saul and his sons, two sons, dying the next day in battle. 
And not only that, but the Bible calls him Samuel. I think if it were a demon appearing as Samuel, the Bible would give some indication that this was not really Samuel. Now, this was not done by God's design. Saul disobeyed God, even though Samuel appeared. Of course, he rebuked Saul. Because in 1 Chronicles 10.13, it says one of the reasons Saul was killed is because he consulted the medium at Endor. And it's right there in black and white, First Chronicles 10.13. This in no way endorses the practice of consulting a dead person or asking someone to um, contact a dead person. Uh, so I wanted to cover that particular thing as far as um, the spirit contact goes. And spirit contact, again, um, the whole idea of contacting the dead has become more popular in our culture. Um, Several years ago, uh, a show called Medium came on NBC. It was a sleeper hit. Um, It became very, very popular. I'm not sure if it's still on or it's in syndication, but it it certainly um, ran a long time. And the ghost whisperer, Uh, with Jennifer Love Hewitt did the same thing and this is the story of a woman who is able to communicate with the dead and actually what's interesting about that show is that one of the co-producers of that show is none other than James Van Prague who's a well-known medium and who has written a number of books um, with his stories and uh, also you know how Wonderful it is to hear from the dead people and what the world of the dead is like or the, what what they call the spirit world. Um, and actually, uh, people who are into contacting the dead believe that the people who are really alive are the dead people and that we are really, the people here alive on earth are really the dead. Um, that's how they see things because they believe that after you die, um, you can go through these levels Uh, different levels of knowledge and you spiritually evolve through these levels in the spirit world and gain more knowledge. You can be a very low-level spirit who doesn't know much and is still trying to realize that he or she is dead or you can be a um, spirit who has advanced and has more wisdom and knowledge and they actually look, they don't look to God for answers, they look to dead people for answers the dead people become sort of like gods. And this is actually part of the religion of spiritualism. There are lots of spiritualist churches in this country. Um, When I was in college, um, in my junior year, I had a friend who was in her senior year, and she was doing a special project on spiritualism, and she had to visit all the spiritualist churches in the area And she didn't want to go alone, so a group of us went with her, usually four or five of us. And we went to these different places. I went to all of the churches with her. I think there were eight of them. And I had a lot of experiences there, Um, at least two of them. uh, Of course, they noticed we were college students. We didn't really fit in with the rest of the people who were there. And so afterwards, sometimes they would approach us to talk to us, find out why we were there. And then they would give us these little free readings, you know, where they do a psychic reading on 
at least I got some free psychic readings. Um, and it's um, it's a very, um, it seems like a very innocent thing because the people doing this sometimes are often very nice people and they, they truly believe they're helping you. Uh, in most of these churches, uh, they sing. You know, it's like a church service. They'll sing some songs and have announcements. And then the minister comes out, can be a man or a woman, and kind of goes into a trance or a semi-trance state and starts getting messages from uh, supposedly the dead relatives of the people who are attending the service. So they'll start throwing out information from, or they'll say there's somebody here, you know, whose name um, begins with S and it's a woman and she has blonde hair and um, she died of a heart attack when she was kind of young. And, you know, you know, somebody will say, oh, that's my sister, Sherry. And um, <laughs> I know a lot of people think, well, these people are just making up these things. They're coming up with initials. And it's going to, you know, eventually somebody's going to say, oh, yeah, I know who that is. And that's true. You you could do it that way. But sometimes the information that they give after that is amazingly accurate. And because I was an astrologer and I also took psychic development classes and I had psychic experiences, I know that there is a demonic source here. I know it's not it's not just guesswork. There is something going on that is coming from an intelligent source that is giving these people information. And that's the main point I want to make about the danger of getting in the occult. Not just because, I mean, mainly it's because God forbids it. But there really is a danger to this. Um, okay, so we want to go on uh, maybe to the next category. And the next category is sorcery. And really, you've got also the word magic. And I want to explain these a little bit. I think this area is harder to understand in a way than the other two areas, uh, divination and spirit contact. Um, And I want to make it clear I'm not talking about stage magic, you know, where you you pull the rabbit out of the hat or you make the coins disappear or you're able to make, um, you know, something appear in an empty box or whatever. I mean, you're actually not making it appear. You make it look like you're making something appear or sawing a woman in two on the stage. These are all very, very clever illusions. And if you ever watch, um, there's a show um, Penn and Teller have. I think it's called Fool Me. And different magicians will perform for Penn and Teller. And um, they win some kind of prize if Penn and Teller can't guess how they did their trick. On some of these tricks, you watch them do it and you think, oh, there's no way someone could do that. They must be using supernatural power. No, they're just, Penn and Teller usually recognize the trick and they usually know what the magician is doing. Stage magic is not supernatural. Sometimes the magician plays it up as supernatural, you know, with mysterious music and everything because it's part of the drama. Um, And it's not really supernatural. The street musicians... Um, like Chris Angel and um, there's another one, David. Uh, his last name escapes me now. 
they do things that look supernatural. It's not. These are tricks. And, in fact, some of their tricks have been exposed by other magicians. There used to be a show that would show you how these tricks were done. That is not what we're talking about here, okay? That is not the occult. Those are, are tricks. Those are skills um, that people work very hard at to get those skills. We're talking about magic, supernatural magic, and sorcery. Now, sorcery is a word that means different things to different people. Um, in the world of the occult today, sorcery tends to have a very, very negative connotation. So people who actually are into real supernatural magic usually do not use the word sorcery. It has the connotation of doing um, maybe, you know, black, black magic, which is considered bad by most people in the occult. So they don't use the word sorcery. Sorcery also can be related to um, sort of a religious uh, type system where sorcery is part of that system. And um, what where this takes us is into perhaps shamanism. Uh, so shamanism, which is a word that describes um, people in certain cultures who are the mediator between this world and the world of the spirits or the world of the gods, usually the world of the spirits. And the shaman is considered a communicator and a healer. And um, he can be a woman, woman or a man, is this mediator who is able to get information from the spirits on how to heal someone or information from the dead ancestors and how what the dead ancestors are wanting. So you have maybe have to placate the dead ancestors. So the shaman is like this intermediary. Um, it's in terms of healing, it's what there used to be a word witch doctor that was used and that usually referred to shamans, but now the word witch doctor is very <laughs> sort of politically incorrect, so it's not used anymore. And now you have shaman, which has become very glamorized by the New Age because it's this ethnic, indigenous, natural thing because they're using natural herbs. They're using things from nature for healing, even though they're often getting the information from the spirit world on how to do it. But being a shaman has become very glamorous now, and people are actually traveling, um, especially to Central and, and South America, to visit these shamans, and uh, you can go there and you take this uh, drug called ayahuasca, uh, which is a hallucinogen, and you have this quote-unquote spiritual trip, and you may have a shamanic journey. Some people become aligned, become followers of these shamans to learn their arts, their healing arts. So what you have here really is a form of sorcery that's going on, but it's under the guise of religion or some kind of spiritual belief system. I would put this, too, in the category under voodoo um, and things associated with voodoo because um, you have other other things that are very similar to it, um, a combo and different types of 
um, indigenous religious practices that involve what you might call sort of a shamanistic type um, practice and you have contact with the world of the spirits and you have people doing rituals and spells to bring things about. Um, all of this would fall under the general category of sorcery, but it's there's so many forms of it. And this is what's confusing to people. They think, well, um, okay, so um, doing this supernatural thing, calling on the spirit world to get advice on healing, that's sorcery, but, you know, what about lighting a candle and saying this prayer 50 times so that um, I will get a new house or something like that. <clears throat> what about that? You know, well, that's the same thing. It's not different. You're you're doing something. You're exerting some kind of action um, or you could be using your will to manifest something into existence and that's what sorcery is. So you can be doing it through um, an incantation uh, where you do a certain type of activity with an incantation, which is really a spell, um, like in witchcraft. Um, Or it's a ritual. You do a ritual and you use ritual tools uh, that all have meaning and supposedly are in some way representing uh, you exerting your will uh, over reality to bring something about. Uh, sometimes the tools are thought to actually draw certain spirits or powers. It depends. Here again, you're going to get a real big variety. The occult has a lot of variety in it, and it has a lot of different viewpoints. So that is why I said at the beginning, you're going to find people in the occult who do not agree, or or they may, you know, this person who does this ritual has this view of how it works, and there's somebody else over here in another system that is using sorcery has another view of how it works. Sometimes they call on spirits. Sometimes they call um, in certain forms of ritual magic. They actually believe they can call on and control demons. And they believe that this is sort of a way to gain mastery over the unseen world, is to actually encounter these demons and call on them. It's extremely dangerous, to say the least. And uh, some people who get involved in this become very unhinged, uh, become tormented, become suicidal um, because they are just putting themselves in the path of fallen angels who will use them, abuse them, and throw them away. So ritual magic is very dangerous. Ritual magic is part of sorcery doing spells, although witches would disagree that it's sorcery. They usually think the word sorcery is referring to doing a misuse of magic. Um, There's no such thing, of course, as good magic and bad magic or black magic and white magic. We have a lot of people who say they do white magic, which means they use magical powers for good and that that's okay because it's only um, black magic that is bad 
and some will even say God only condemns black magic, not white magic. Of course, there's nothing in the Bible about black and white magic. Those concepts didn't even exist when the Bible was written. God forbids all forms of sorcery or supernatural magic because what you're doing is you're, you are contacting supernatural beings and you are trying to gain supernatural power, whether it's outside yourself or from within yourself, in order to exert control over reality and manifest something into existence, to alter reality. Using your will to alter reality, I believe, is um, the definition that's often used um, for magic. And so there's a lot of different varieties and forms of it. And uh, that is really sorcery. And when I talk about it, I tend to use the word magic because of the negative connotations of sorcery. There's someone I was going to talk about, and as often happens on the radio, something I know all the time just completely leaves my mind. And this is a very famous person. Oh, it just came to me, finally. Aleister Crowley. Um, Aleister Crowley is often referred to as a Satanist but he actually wasn't a Satanist. He was a ritual magician. He was very, very much into ritual magic. That was his thing. And he contacted spirits. He contacted demons. Um, And, of course, he had a very bad end. Uh, And Aleister Crowley, that, that is what he was. Now, there are Satanists who use magic, who use ritual magic. So... A Satanist can use ritual magic. A non-Satanist can use ritual magic. A witch can use ritual magic. But they see it very differently from a Satanist or some other people who just do ritual magic, but they're not into anything else. So a lot of people combine different forms of the occult. So sometimes they may know astrology and they also do ritual magic. Sometimes they may contact the dead, and they also read tarot cards. So nobody has to limit themselves, and often people in these areas will practice more than one area. That's very common. So those are the three main areas there, divination, spirit contact, and sorcery or magic. And I think that given all the... Well, I've given a lot of examples of those three areas. Um, and so there's uh, there's some more things, though, to talk about. Oh, there is one more thing I want to say about spirit contact. Um, I wanted to mention the Ouija board because it's sold by Parker Brothers, and, of course, Parker Brothers um, makes toys. So people think... Well, it's probably just this sort of glorified toy and Parker Brothers tries to make it mysterious, etc. But that's not true. Um, The Ouija board started back in the 1800s. There were many early forms of the Ouija board. And uh, there was a man in Baltimore um, named William Fuld, F-U-L-D, um, who actually there was a man before him who had developed it. William Fold sort of got hold of it, though, and started producing producing this board. It wasn't called the Ouija board right away. It was called the Baltimore Talking Board. Now, there were a lot of different forms of these of these boards out there, and they were all used to contact the dead. In fact, the earliest forms of 
of these boards had been uh, invented uh, by spiritualists. So it came out of spiritualism, which is this religion I mentioned earlier that believes in contacting the dead for information. So the Ouija board was never a toy um, in its earliest forms, um, whatever name, you know, there were different names for it, whatever name it had. It was always a tool for contacting the dead. When William Fold got hold of it, um, the story is that he wanted to give it a new name because there were other knockoffs of his Baltimore talking board. And so he he claims he asked the board what he should name it. And, of course, nobody except William Fold and God knows if this story is true or not. But supposedly the board spelled out Ouija. Now, it's very interesting to me because that word seems so strange, but if you divide it, it's very simple. And if you know French and German, it's it's very simple because we, O-U-I, means yes in French, and J-A means yes in German, and probably a few other Germanic or Scandinavian-type languages. So you have yes, yes, and... I think this is an invitation to spirit contact. And that's the name of the board. Yes, yeah. That's really the name of the board, the Yes, Yes board, not the Ouija board. And uh, people use this sometimes like a toy. And it's kind of people laugh and they think it's kind of funny. It's actually a very dangerous tool. Uh, There was a woman named Jane Roberts in the 70s who was using a Ouija board and she was doing this to see who she could contact and one time she was using the board this entity calling itself Seth said that it was contacting her and started giving her this amazing information about who he was and who she was and her life and everything and so she was contacting Seth, you know, every day through the Ouija board. And finally, Seth told her, he said, you don't need to use this board anymore to contact me. I am just going to come through you. I'm going to speak through you, you know. And she agreed. She said, okay. She thought his messages were so spiritual and so advanced and so wise. And so that's what happened. She would fall into these trances, and Seth would give messages through her. She was unaware of these things while it was happening. Her husband transcribed it, recorded it. I guess initially he was recording it, and later they transcribed the messages. And they put them in books, Um, and the books uh, became a series of books called the the Seth Series. I'm drinking water, and I'm going to change the phone to the other ear. Hang on. Okay, thank you for your patience. Um, have to have a little more water here. All right. Um, and these books, uh, the first one was Seth Speaks. I think the second one was The Nature of Personal Reality. can't remember the name of the third one. I read Seth Speaks in the late 70s like 1979 or 19... Actually, I think I read it in 1980. I was very, very impacted by that book because the messages from Seth seemed extremely...
extremely, it's really hard to describe. They were like these very, very high-level spiritual uh, messages uh, with these concepts that I had never thought of before, concepts about reality and concepts about, you know, why you're here on earth and what perhaps you did before and what what you could be doing again after this life. Um, it, it went way beyond the idea of reincarnation. It was a very complex kind of message. It was very alluring, very appealing. I was very, very influenced by it. There was an exercise that Seth gave in the book to do where you lie on your bed and close your eyes and I will not I will not tell you what what it is because I don't want anyone doing it but I did that particular exercise and had an experience that convinced me it was very spiritual and this of course convinced me that Seth was authentic and was who he says that he was and That just shows the power of a channeled message. How many people read that book? I know at least several other people who were influenced by that book, and there's still people today who are followers of the messages from Seth. They're out there. They have websites and everything dedicated to Seth. Jane Roberts died. Um, I don't know how she died. Nobody seems to know how she died. She died, I think, 1986. And I think she was only in her 40s, possibly maybe around 50, but she was kind of young. And um, so the books, you know, they they had stopped. There were no more books. But the influence is still out there. And how did this all start? It started when Jane Roberts used a Ouija board. And there have been other cases like that where people use a Ouija board and it leads to channeled teachings leads to messages for humanity and these messages are not coming from God. They are against God. A lot of times the messages will will sound almost Christian. They'll talk about Jesus. They'll talk about God. They'll sound very very holy and righteous. Uh, It's amazing how these fallen angels, and of course they're fallen angels, they know how to sound like good angels. They know what the Bible says. They know how to imitate it. Um, uh, And now that I'm talking about channeling, I want to mention a few other channeled books because these are big bestsellers. Uh, There was a book that came out. The first book was called Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. And then he he wrote book one, book two, book three, and then he wrote another book, Friendship with God and Communion with God and He wrote Conversations with God for Teens, and he wrote several other books. All of these books were huge hits. They were bestsellers. Uh, Conversations with God started when Neil Donald Walsh, who was very, um, he was in a crisis in his life. This is so often how these things happen. The person is in a crisis and somehow seeks answers. And so what he did was, he sat down and started writing questions to God because he was mad. And all of a sudden, he said his pen started moving and giving him answers. And these, he believes these, you know, and he asked God, if, <laughs> he asked if this was really God or something. And he felt like the information coming was from God. And he ended up writing this book, Conversations with God, which gives his questions and the answers from this entity he calls God. Now, 
here again you have something channeling through a person. This is spirit contact. So this is what we're talking about here in channeled books. Um, the Aquarian Gospel, I just want to throw out a few well-known New Age type things that are channeled. The Aquarian Gospel um, was a channeled book by a man who called himself Levi, L-E-V-I. Big kind of a biblical name there. And Conversations with God was so huge that there were study groups formed all over the country where people got together in homes, just like Christians do for Bible studies. And these people would get together in homes to study the writings or the messages from God in Neil Donald Walsh's book. And I have several articles on, um, I, on Neil Donald Walsh. I have an article on Conversations with God. And I have an article on Conversations with God for Teens. I have actually two articles on that book, one for adults, one for teens. I have an article on Friendship with God by Walsh. And in these books, God will quote large passages of Scripture. Now, this is not God, of course, that Walsh communicated. So what, I'm, what I should say here, Walsh's God um, is quoting large passages of scripture and then gives, of course, a different twist to it, a different meaning than what the meaning is in the Bible. So it's very, very seductive and it's very, very deceptive. But if somebody's not a Christian and they're reading this, it sounds very spiritual. And if they have a background in Christianity, even which doesn't mean they were a Christian, they just have a background in it, they have exposure to it, this may make them believe it because here is God and here is some scripture. So this is what you find in the occult and the New Age. You find references to and quotes from the Bible. Very, very common. It's extremely common. People in the occult and these spirit beings who are channeling have no problems mentioning Jesus. They have absolutely no trouble talking about Jesus. Um, Of course, in some way, they'll minimize who Jesus is. And they will, in some way, sometimes subtly, sometimes overtly, attack the Bible. Uh, For example, in Conversations with God, Book 1, one of the messages from Walsh's God is that there is no real truth in words that words can't really convey truth. Words are just noises. And, um, of course, that is an attack on the Bible. Now, what I wrote in the margin was, well, if words can't communicate truth, why are we reading this book? Okay, right? So think about everything that's said like that is usually self-refuting. It's it's just illogical. Um, I'm sure, I guess, Walsh didn't think about it. Or if he did, he decided to ignore it. Uh, So... Through these spirit beings, you have all these channeled books out there. There's quite a few of them. And these are all being coming from fallen angels. So spirit contact is extremely dangerous. And automatic handwriting is where you let somebody kind of write through you. That's a, that's a form of divination and a form of spirit contact. So there's another case where they overlap. Same with the Ouija board. That's a form of divination and a form of spirit contact. So you have uh, things that can cross over. And all of these things involve these fallen angels. Uh, I want to address a topic that is sometimes confusing related to this, and that is um, the occult 
versus fantasy. And there's a lot of confusion on this area because a lot of people are aware of some of the role-playing games, um, especially that came out in the 90s. And many of these games had occult themes, and uh, they seem to be about occult topics or activities. You also have had, of course, video games, and in a lot of video games, you have people who are using sorcery or spells, etc. Um, so people started equating, some people started equating fantasy with the occult, and, and more or less they were labeling fantasy, all fantasy is a bad thing. Well, this is just not the case. Fantasy in itself is just, you know, it's, it's the use of the imagination. It's something that is imaginary. And, you know, something imaginary about the future, then you have, like, that's like science fiction as a form of, of fantasy, although science fiction as a literature, as a literary genre is very different from, usually different from the fantasy genre, but they're kind of in the same area in terms of, of what they they come from. And there's nothing wrong with a healthy use of imagination. Um, what matters is how this imagination is being used. What are the the messages that are being given? Um, and that's what it really boils down to. Now, if the message is that you can get power and you can get what you want through some kind of occult practice like sorcery, that is not a good message. You know, that is where fantasy is misusing the occult um, and making it look, well, it's not really misusing, it's making it look good. Um, but fantasy and the occult are two different categories. They're not the same category. So to say they're the same or fantasy is always about the occult is just not true. So what you want to look for is, does this video game, does this role-playing game, does this story that my child is reading, um, is it giving a message, if it has anything about the occult in it, if there's any kind of supernatural magic like occult magic or spells or incantations um, or astrology or numerology, anything like that in the book or any character who does those things, is the message of the book that this is okay or it's helpful, or it can be okay, or it's not really all that bad. That's what you want to look for. If these things are in the book, but they're shown to be bad, they're shown to be dangerous, they're shown to be wrong, well, that's a whole other thing together. Um, you still may not want your child, depending on their age, to, to be exposed to those ideas. But it, it, the real problem is when the message is these things are okay. Is casting spells okay? I don't think it's good because as I've tried to show uh, in what I've said so far is that these things are not just made up. These are real practices that go way, way back. Um, I mean, way back. <laughs> I think they've been around ever since probably not too long after the fall. Uh, these practices are rooted um, in a, a demonic type activity and there there are doors at the very least they open doors to um, influence from fallen angels I want to mention um, Acts 16 16 
where you have Paul um, rebuking uh, there's the woman with divination. She has a spirit of divination. And I was looking at this passage the other day in the ESV study notes. The study note on that verse says that what this was was a demon who was giving this woman information. That's what I've always believed. That's the first time I've actually seen it in a study Bible. So I was really glad to see it because I thought, well, that validated my belief. She was getting information from a demon. Now, what I've said about this passage before is that I think the reason God gives us this story, aside from showing the power of God over demons, is that it shows she's she's doing divination. It shows that at the root of divination, there's a demonic element. Um, It doesn't mean necessarily, well, she she was possessed because the demon was cast out. It doesn't mean that everyone who does divination is possessed. Everyone gets caught up on the possessed issue, and that's not really the issue here. The issue we have to look at is what is going on. Is this good or evil? It's evil. Don't have anything to do with it. So in Acts 16, the woman with 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 the spirit of divination has a demon. And it's just something to remember about this. This is not something innocent. It's not just a game. Even though there's a lot of scam artists out there who may pretend to be psychics, they may pretend to read your palm and just kind of be making things up. Um, You know, they may pretend to know astrology. So there are people who are just scam artists who don't really know too much about the occult. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But then you have people who are really deeply involved in it. So I wanted to make that point, too, that we can't forget that God forbids these things. He takes them very seriously. Therefore, we should take it seriously. We don't need to be afraid, but we should take it seriously. I had many times um, when I was doing, in fact, the more I did astrology, the more my so-called psychic powers increased. And I got better and better at doing astrology and it and I got more and more of these um types of episodes where things would come into my mind about the person, about the client that would be right on target where I would say something and it would be very true about the person's life. Um and that became it became easier for me because I was going along that path and the more I did it, the more open I was, the more compliant I was to the guidance that I was getting from my guides who were fallen angels. So all of these people who do these things, just like I did, all have these guides who are fallen angels. So these activities are not some kind of game, some kind of just, um, they're not just a way to deceive people and get your money um, they're actually, there's a demonic element here. And this is why I'm so concerned when I see TV shows like, you know, Ghost Whisperer, or I see these cartoons where um, characters in the cartoons have these supernatural powers. Um, they even have cartoons where kids chant and, and are doing spells. Uh, and it's it's kind of, and there's lots of books for kids who have these themes. Now I'm kind of going on to the area of, of what's out there with, 
with children and also with teenagers, uh, you have this glamorization of the occult that's going on. Um, I believe this happened um, to a certain extent with Harry Potter, where it was made to seem fun. Um, a lot of people believe that, oh, the casting of spells and things like that were just um, plot devices. Well, maybe that's how the author intended them, but that's not how children are necessarily going to take them. They may take it quite seriously. In fact, I had emails from children who um, apparently, I guess, when they saw I had articles in Harry Potter, they didn't bother to read the articles. <laughs> um, and they assumed I was a Harry Potter fan. <laughs> and they would email me, and so they said, oh, do you know where I can learn white magic? You know, I'm I'm 12 years old. I want to learn white magic. Um, do you know if there's such a school? Is, is there a school that really exists that's like Hogwarts? I actually got emails from children and young teenagers asking me these questions. They were really seriously interested in these things. This happened in the UK as well. The Pagan Federation there said they were besieged with um, inquiries from children and teens about how to get involved in magic um, and things like witchcraft. They were just besieged. They had to take on extra people in their organization to answer all of these inquiries. Uh, So people can be influenced by TV shows, they can be influenced by influenced by books. And we have to remember that. And even though they're very, very, very popular in the culture, that doesn't mean they're okay. Just because everybody's reading them and loves them and thinks it's great, doesn't mean it's okay. We have to use, as Christians, we have to use God's word as the criteria. Now, I did want to mention um, Somewhat briefly here, I see that it's 7.37, so I've been going for an hour and 37 minutes about, but I will say a little bit more, and thank you for, if you're listening to this and you've listened since the beginning, thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening to everything. Uh, So I wanted to say something about Wicca and witchcraft, which I more or less put in another category because... It's connected to the occult, but it's kind of its own category because there's a religious element to it in some cases. And what you have here is um, people who believe this is a religion. They're very much oriented towards the earth. Nature is their model. Okay, That is their model, nature. Nature is sacred. Sometimes they believe they have, the nature is the goddess, so they associate nature with the goddess. Sometimes they believe in the goddess and her consort. Sometimes they believe many gods. So you're going to have a real variety of views there. <clears throat> but people in, in uh, Wicca, which really was started by a man in England named Gerald Gardner way back around like the late 40s, um, and then was brought over here to the United States around 1963, uh, they are into the nature and into the often into the goddess within uh, as a god within and attuning yourself to nature and doing magic and doing spells but usually they view magic and spells not as supernatural but as part of the natural world and they believe it's part of the natural world some of their rituals will call on the, the elemental spirits, the spirits of nature, 
sometimes they call on the gods or goddesses. Here again, you have a, a real variety. And you have, but you do have them practicing the occult because many um, Wiccans, um, and then you have people call themselves witches, but they won't call themselves Wiccans. Uh, so there's two different groups there, but in both groups you will have people who maybe do tarot cards, who maybe do astrology, who cast spells, but they see spells as a religious thing. They actually equate casting spells with prayer. And their view of this is that as long as you're intending to do good, it's okay. So do no harm, you know, is basically the motto. And so that whole area is related to the occult, and yet it's kind of separate from it. So I did want to mention that because some people may be wondering why I haven't mentioned Wicca or witchcraft. Most of them, of course, will believe that they're doing white witchcraft or white magic, and they don't think that it's wrong because they're only using it for good. But then you do have people who believe once you've gotten very advanced in it, once you've done it for a long time, you're able to go deeper and do a stronger type magic and that's where you might cross over into dark magic. Um, but they don't really see that as wrong if you're ready for it. It's only wrong if you're not ready for it. Um, so dark magic could be using more heavy-duty magic and is considered more dangerous. Um, so once again, you have uh, a big variety there. But it's still also... it's a part of the occult. And I'll briefly mention Satanism. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. I also put that in a different category because uh, the worldview of, of Satanism is very different from the worldview of many people in the occult. You you don't just have a view of maybe doing some occult practices, which some which Satanists are sometimes into, but you have another view going on of either being your own god or Satan as a source of power um, in a very strong, maybe anti-god or anti-Christian view along with it. Sometimes Satan is seen as real. Sometimes he's not. He's just a symbol. Uh, but it's very much of an individualistic and doing your own will kind of thing. It's exerting your will over over your life and you don't bow to any moral code and the whole idea of following some kind of ethical path in order to be a good person is completely rejected in Satanism. And so that particular view that you reject any kind of ethical path or want to try to be good is totally different from what you find with most people in the occult who do believe that Will you use power for good? You use magic for good. You use astrology for good. You know, this is all a good thing. This is all spiritual and it's ethical. Um, of course, even though it's not, according to what God says, they do think they're they're being good and ethical, whereas Satanists don't even accept the idea of being good or ethical. Or they'll say, you know, I decide what is good and what's good for me is what is good. So they have their own individualistic view and don't believe that they should, you know, go along with other views. So that's just a few words on on, uh, Satanism. And um, 
once again, it's often related to the occult and often put into the occult as though it's the main part of the occult when actually Satanism is probably involves a minority of people and in my opinion is an area that should not concern us as much as the other areas I've talked about because the other areas are much more pervasive and because they appear to be harmless, they're more attractive and appealing and more people get involved in them. Um, Satanism appeals to a particular kind of person uh, and it's not as many people who are drawn to that as they are drawn in general to the occult, which is very vast, or the New Age, which is another topic. And I think I'll end on that note, like on what's the difference between the New Age and the occult, because I have been asked that many times. And I think the difference is mainly, well, there's difference in origins, but there's also a difference in the world views. In the New Age, you have a very transcendent, future-oriented view. It's all about spiritual involvement. So often you have, usually you have the view of reincarnation, dying and coming back, dying and coming back again and again as different people. And through these lives, you're supposedly learning lessons and spiritually evolving. Uh, So there's this future orientation of where you're going. You're going to down this spiritual path um, with some kind of goal, eventual goal that you're headed towards. And there's a lot of, um, you know, interest in what you do to get yourself there. And your inner divinity is very important. Your innate divine nature is very much a part of you. Um, whereas the occult is much more here and now, much much more practical in many ways. It's much more about... Um, doing um, something with the power that you have or or learning how to use powers and learning how to use um, or find hidden knowledge and information. Uh, so the occult tends to be a more here and now kind of view and not so much all this future orientation. Also, the occult doesn't really have any specific religious dogma. Occult as I said earlier, is more a set of practices, the divination spirit contact and sorcery, which can be found in a lot of different religious systems. So in a way, they're two separate categories, but different categories because I do believe the New Age is a spiritual belief system or it's actually a network of spiritual belief systems where I think the occult is more a set of practices. But you do tend to find that people heavily into the occult, have a worldview that is different from the New Age worldview. Although people in the New Age can get involved in the occult, there can be overlap. And you can have, for example, someone who's into witchcraft who also has New Age views. So you have a lot of overlap. But in essence, the worldviews are different. The occult is more here and now, more practical, making use of, of tools now, the tools that you have, whether it's tools for divination or tools for doing magic. In New Age is more about things that are going to bring you to your potential. More like the self help kind of spiritual self help path. So 
that's how I see the differences, and that's my assessment, which could change over time, but that's the assessment I've come to. So I hope that this overview of the occult has helped. Um, if you want more detail, I do have my book, which I mentioned earlier, Spellbound, The Paranormal Seduction of Today's Kids. And um, this is Marsha Montenegro, M-O-N-T-E-N-E-G-R-O. So if you look up that book um, anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or whatever, don't just put in Spellbound. Either put in the whole title, which is really long, so it's much easier just to put in Spellbound, Marsha Montenegro, because there are a lot of books that have Spellbound in the title that <laughs> I've discovered. So you do not want to put that in. You probably get at least 50 books before you get my book, maybe more. Put in Spellbound, Marsha Montenegro, and you can find it. Um, get it like on Amazon from uh, used, you know, the marketplace that sells used books. But some of them are new. Or you can get it as an ebook for Kindle or whatever. And then my website is www.christiananswersforthenewage.org. All one word, Christian Answers for the New Age. And I have many articles there on the occult and the New Age. And you can email me. Um, you can email me at mmontenegro at S, like Frank, I, M, like Mary, dot org. M. Montenegro at S, I, M, dot org. And I'm on Facebook. So I really appreciate you listening tonight. I thank Devin and Melissa again for giving me this opportunity to be on for the whole time. I enjoyed talking about this topic because I think it's good to have information. It helps us be more discerning, more aware. And I also want to emphasize that we don't need to have fear of anybody who's in the occult. There's no reason to be afraid of talking to a psychic or afraid. I mean, as long as you're not consulting them for a reading. You know, I mean just talking to them. Talking to um, somebody who's in witchcraft, talking to an astrologer, to a medium, whatever. There's no reason to be afraid of people. You know, what you want to do is start a spiritual dialogue. If you can, if you know somebody at work maybe who's into these things, find out what they believe. Ask them who they think God is. Ask them what they think about Jesus. Just kind of listen to them. See where they're coming from, and then you can interject your views. You can say, you know, can I tell you more about Jesus and what Jesus did and what he said. Um, some people are very open to that. So don't, you know, don't be afraid to share your faith. Um, do, pray, do a lot of prayer. I think that's true when talking to anybody who's not a Christian and you think you may want to share, um, you know, the gospel with them. I think prayer is absolutely crucial. But you don't need to be afraid. And these things are... You know, Jesus has power over everything, over all rulers and authorities and powers, both on heaven and on earth. So there is no need to be afraid. We don't have the spirit of fear. Uh, but we are to be cautious, and we are to be vigilant, and we are to be alert. 
that's very important. So we can't get lazy on that. So thank you again. I appreciate it so much. And um, I will just say goodbye now. Okay. Bye-bye.